Hi, welcome. Thank you for tuning to Life Plus Up with your host Kevin Yang. For all the listeners, Life Plus Up is a podcast dedicated in making your life better by achieving success in three core components of life: personal, financial, and career. In each episode, we'll be bringing some of the most positive and inspiring news, followed by introducing programs to help out with personal finance. We'll coach you some professional skills to help you advance in your career, and be your resources for a better lifestyle and health. You can find the newest episode every Wednesday by follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google, or much more. At the end of each episode, I will answer some of the questions from our listeners. So if you have a question, please email me or DM me on Instagram, or just by clicking on the voice link listed in the description. Remember, if you find this podcast informative and helpful, please share with someone that you think this can help. So now, let's have a great show. Hi, welcome to Life Plus Up podcast with your host Kevin Yang. It sure has been a very long time since that we are able to gather here in the podcast world. Many of the listeners might already know that I started my executive MBA program with New York University starting at the beginning of this year, and also with increased intensity and commitments from the curriculums and work. I really want to make sure. Before I can just fully go back into the podcast, my contents and the formats will be well structured. Because at the end of the days, I have made the promise to all the listeners that I will be a lot more genuine, making sure that we go off scripts a little bit. But most importantly, really take the time to answer some of the questions that still lay in our mailbag. Now I want to go ahead and start our episode, like usual, with something positive, inspiring news. Because at this time, as we see the world is start to get a little better, we want to make sure we continue to ride on this high hope of momentum. Today, our first news is going to be brought to you by CNN. The good stuff. The headline is: A woman nicknamed Book Lady wants to give away one million books to her community. Written by Maria Morova and Saeed Ahmed. Jennifer Williams wants students to love reading the way she did as a child, so she decided to give away one million books to people in her small town of Denville, Virginia, and she earned the nickname "Book Lady" in the process. Since Williams started in 2017, she's given away more than 63,000 books, mostly to students. Books are important to me, she said. My mother was librarian. And she will read to us until we went off to college, not just off to kindergarten, but to college. Williams says she wants students and community members alike to assess the possibilities that readings offers. Reading can take you anywhere, she said. You can travel in time and space. If you can read, you can learn almost anything. Williams had an idea to give away books after she noticed that students she tutored. 
will ask her to keep the books they were reading together. Having to share the books with other students wouldn't have to say no. So one summer, she made a goal to give away 300 books in the three sets of housing projects where she tutored. She would ask neighbors and people at her church for donations. But even after she met her goal, she wasn't satisfied. My husband was like, wow, congratulations. And I was like, wow, anybody can do that, she said. I told him I want to give away a million books. So it began. William started collecting donations and buying books out of her own pocket. Every year, she gives a book to each student at her local elementary school. She also distributed books in other ways. Scattered across Denville are 16 tiny standalone libraries that Williams keeps stocked. She also leaves books in picnic tables and in laundromats. She doesn't usually leave a note. By now, a lot of people know that the book lady has been there, she said. Williams said her community has rallied to support her goal. She often comes home to boxes of donated books on her porch. I've lived in this town for 35 years, she said. I went to all my friends' kids' baseball games. Now, my community has come together and said, you've always helped us, now let us help you. In the local operation, through and through, William said of the 3,000 books she has given away, 99% first set at her living room floor. Williams also teach creative writing and holds book club at local jail. The club has gone through 28 books, more than 400,000 pages since it started last year. Willem said it's a powerful connector. I had this mom come up to me and tell me that every time I give the club a new book, her teenagers will download it at home, she said. Now, when she calls them, they have something else to talk about. She isn't the only one sharing her love for reading, although lofty. Williams isn't alone in working toward such a big goal. An eight-year-old in Atlanta launched a literacy project with her parents to give away two million books to underprivileged kids. The Empower Reader Literacy Project drew more than 2,400 students and parents for their very first event, a March for Literacy, in Atlanta in 2018. Since then, the project has donated at least 8,000 books to children. Another nonprofit group donating book is Young, Black, and Lit, which gives away books featuring black men characters to kids. When a child sees themselves reflected in the books that they read, when the books are mirrored to them, they feel value. Crenice Roseman, co-founder of the nonprofit with her husband, told CNN, the organization has distributed more than 5,000 books in the Chicago metropolitan area as of September of 2020. As for Williams, she says she doesn't plan to slow down anytime soon. My goal is to keep doing what I do, she said. The world is full of people who are just complaining. I'm just going to rub up my sleeves and try to do something to help. Here at Light Plus Up, we really thank you, Williams, for your kind heart and determination to really bring the books to all these people, a sense of normalcy and also some positivity in life. You and along with other nonprofit have not simply bring imaginations to thousands of readers and underprivileged children out there. You also show rest of us here that everybody can pitch in by simply rub the sleeves 
and try to donate the books that we have already read so we can share the same love and joy with people who really need it now. Now, for any listeners out there who are looking to donate to these underprivileged kids or people who simply want to enjoy more books, please click on the links listed in the show notes. Now, like we have discussed in the previous episodes, that I really like to take this particular show to a more lighthearted, more upbeat, but most importantly, be more genuine and be true to all my listeners, starting by sharing my adventures with all you guys. For some listeners, you might already start seeing those changes. Toward the end of season one, I have decided to start changing the format by including the recommendations of the week. Now, with that one month a hiatus, you should already expect I have a few adventures lined up. The first one I really want to go over is an exciting new restaurant listed in Midtown Manhattan, located right on the 32nd Street. It's called Bento's. When you heard Bento's, you just think about those bento boxes laying in supermarket, such as Sunrise Mart. But I can assure you, now, if you do visit this location, the Bentos, New York, on 32nd Street, you will be genuinely surprised. Bento sushi is one of the kind. According to its website, it's made of fresh ingredients that are both locally sourced and imported from Japan daily. Expertly prepared varieties of fish are marinated with unique flavors to recreate a style of sushi that is at once classic, refined, and one of a kind. For many people, we know what sushi are, but bento sushi are quite different. It is a different type of sushi cultures that not simply show you the costume and culture, but most importantly, the art and also the spirit of the chef. Bento's was open in the remnants of pandemic, so they never really had a chance to invite their guests to come in to enjoy with the chef. And I was lucky enough to be their first guest. And I can assure you, aside from the normal a la carte menu that they have, they also have a variety of seasoned combos and dishes that I will assume that anyone who loves sushi, fresh ingredient, but most importantly, a food adventure would definitely enjoy. So if you don't believe me, or you do want to have a simple adventure as I do, I want you guys to go ahead and see. You can use the link down there in my show notes, or simply just go visit 315 5th Avenue, number 5 in New York, New York 10016. And I also have shared some pictures on my Instagram as well too. And of course, I will be a regular there, and I hope one day I will see some of the listeners there as well. Now, aside from just introducing a restaurant, I also want to get a chance to go ahead and introduce a wine that I really, really enjoy over the past month while I was on break. The wine that I want to recommend to all my listeners is a Pinot Noir from California in the Russian River of Sonoma County of Mary Edwards Pinot Noir. The year is 2016. This is a splendid wine with lots of potential for food pairing. A lot of people say that Pinot Noir is a cold region grape. Therefore, it may give people the wrong impression that it's hard to do food pairing. However, they can be very wrong. Pinot Noir has been known by experts to be the widest companion to a lot of food pairing choices. And I can say for this particular wine, it is a splendid wine with lots of potential. 
The color is dark ruby. On the nose, there's a aroma of strawberry, cherry, butter, and leather. On the palate, it's medium body, less in tannin. They're ripe cherry, strawberry, mineral with a hint of a toast. It really gives you an impression of finding an old treasure box in an antique library that opened up to your imaginations. So for anyone who is looking forward to have a great night enjoying with some poultry, pork chop, or even fish, yes, peanut oil can also go well with some fish, this can be a really good wine that will definitely not break your bank. Now with that being said, I also invite everyone to join me at Lenvino and try to look for me so you will be able to join on this wine searching trip and also let me know what are some wines that really touch you as well too. Now let's take a short break. When we come back, I can answer some questions that are sitting in our meal bag for some time. Welcome back. Now, with one month break, one can only assume there are many, many questions laying in our meal bag right now, but I promise you that I will attend them one by one. But however, the first questions I want to go ahead and answer is directly from one of the participants in my recent Toastmaster events in NYU. The question is, Kevin, I always have fear of giving speeches in the public. What are some tips that you will be able to provide? And how do you overcome the fear of speaking to a bunch of strangers? So thank you for the questions. This is actually a two puffer. The first part about how do you overcome the fear of public speaking? What you want to overcome demonstration of skills in the public, experience and practice is the best key for it. Public speaking can be intimidating if you have never done it in the public. A lot of people will go ahead and feel the fear coming internally. You are fear to be judged. You are being fear to be challenged. And that's understandable. But just think about when you're watching a sports game or you even see a live performer who is doing their best act in the subway stations. It comes with a lot of practice. It comes with a lot of practice and confidence that result from those practice. The more you practice a certain skills, the more confident that you become. And therefore, you'll be able to overcome the fear by demonstrating that skill set that you have. Not everyone can go ahead and just jump in the public and speak without any hesitations. But everyone can eventually be that courageous by simply developing the right skills and having the confidence to do so. Now for me, how do I overcome speaking to a bunch of strangers? It's very simple. A lot of times I feel those fears as well. I fear to be challenged. I fear that I don't sound like an expert, but I will learn the skill of removing myself from the equation. A lot of people will say, what do you mean by removing yourself from the equations? How do you remove yourself? You're there, you're the one that's speaking. To do so is very simple. I had to tell myself that the ultimate reason why I do this right now is a lot bigger than I do. For example, when I was giving that speech of Toastmaster to a group of strangers I never met before, professionals who are good at their job and they might be expert in their fields, I was trying to go ahead and see if I can add more value to them. So I remove myself and my fear and anything I think about myself out of the equations. My goal is to make sure that after my speech, I will be able 
to at least bring some value or some advice to people who are currently struggling with that public speaking. By knowing for a fact that I have accomplished that goal, it really outweighed the consequences of me being challenged or sound not knowing enough or sound like someone who are performing really badly or just simply fear of not doing well, right? So that's one thing that I always tell myself is remember why you do this. Don't focus on yourself, Kevin. This is not the time for you to focus on how you look at yourself. But think about the good that you can do. If just one person can walk out that meeting, become a better version of themselves because you have provided them knowledge, then your mission is accomplished. So next time when you are being challenged to give your presentation to the public or you're being challenged to go ahead and share your thoughts, your speech, or even your knowledge in the work setting, tell yourself you don't do it for yourself. You are doing for your audience, like what I'm doing now. If one listener out there can simply take that particular message and become better, and next time when they give their presentation in front of the whole class, their goal is no longer, I want to look good in front of my class. Their goal will be, I want to help my class to understand a concept that's relatively important for their academic or future. By having that thought and remove yourself, then you will know that you're doing the right things. And I hope that this advice will help that participants who just ask the questions. Now, the next question that I have is from one of a listener who sent me weeks ago from Connecticut. Hey, Kevin, I've been looking for a job ever since pandemic starts. And there is always a hardship for me to perform well in front of a Zoom interview. What are some tips you have for Zoom interview? All right, that's actually a very common question right now. I think a lot of people have those concerns about trying to present themselves in the best way in front of Zoom. Many people have charismatic personalities, able to shine through, charm others. But when you're looking at the camera lens, it's hard for you to do so for two reasons. Why? You're not able to read the body language of interviewer. Second, you are very aware of the surroundings. And third, you have to do extra to grab the attention from your interviewer. Some interviewer might lose their interest because they are not able to connect with you and they might be scoring down with their phones and you see their eyes is not giving the eye contact and therefore you become more nervous. That's all understandable. But just think about when you're doing a Zoom interview, you have to fight off the urge of looking at yourself, but you want to look at your interviewer. Many people shift their glance and their visions and their to a direction of their own pictures. They are more mindful of how they look versus how the reaction, the facial expression of the interviewer. That's more important. Another thing is that depends on your camera. A lot of people have a camera set on the side. They might use a big monitor, which have different camera. It doesn't capture the full angle. Really think about how you will be looking into the camera. Therefore, create an illusion of eye contact. Because without the eye contact, humans tend to break that bonds. When you're communicating, you're not communicating with words only. You're communicating with all your five senses, right? You're trying to make sure that you are able to use your facial expressions. You also ought to understand the, that the interviewer on the other side of the Zoom camera is in their own surrounding and they may be easily distracted with whatever is going on with them, right? So these are the things that you have to be aware of. 
the last thing you have to make sure that is to be professional. There is no reasons to go ahead and show off your entire bedroom when you're doing a Zoom interview. Find a place in your home that is not clouded because you are being judged about how clean you are sometimes. Some interviewers are being very mindful about the surrounding where the, the interviewee are. You want to use virtual backgrounds? Go for it. However, you want to also make sure that's okay with the interviewer. Some interviewer might not want to use a virtual background because they don't want to see you fade away into the backgrounds. Just be knowing for a fact about the technology you're using. And the last thing you want to do is to make sure that you really test out your Zoom capabilities prior to your interview. You do not want to find out that your account is not locked on on the time of your interview nor you don't want to find out your mic does not give you the best sound resolutions. These can be the key to make sure that you actually get the job or not. Now, the, my last question here that I will be answering is, Kevin, Lakers is falling two games in a row. What's up with that? Is Lakers still a contender for champion this year or is it going to be Brooklyn Nets all the way? All right, I always like to save the sports question toward the last because I really like to go ahead and end the podcast episode on a more higher spirit type of tone. First of all, Lakers are going to win the champion this year. We can see that Brooklyn Nets put a lot of money out there trying to go ahead and build their teams of Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving. Now they have Blake Griffins, but let's be honest really quick. Is Blake Griffin still the same Blake Griffin that we know? Now, he has not dunked since 2019. He's not the guy who dunk over people anymore. It's hard to believe that he will even get some quality minutes. A lot of the teams are joining up so they can win a championship at the end. I value that. However, Lakers has what we call a championship pedigree. The team knows when to be strong, when to relax. We're talking about this as a 72-game se seasons with a really quick turnaround. We just finished our championship in October, and now we're having the game started right away in December. There's barely any rest. So where do you find the rest if there's on? You have to find it in the games. There are a few games that we can win, and there's a few games that we can lose. There are a few games that we can rest, and these are things that a lot of teams have to understand. We're only halfway through. Lakers sitting strong at third in the West. We're only a couple games away from the top Jazz team. But at the end of the day, when LeBron James turned up their playoff mode, when Anthony Davis come back, and with Kyle Kuzma already improved so much this year, and we still have Montrezl Harrell, and we have Dennis Schroeder coming back, this is a legit team that knows what it takes to be a champion. We heard so much buzz about LA Clipper last year, about all the superstars. What happened? They fall. When you don't have a culture of winning, it's not going to sustain long. And of course, Brooklyn Nets have one of the best all-star teams. Literally, the entire team have made all-stars now, right? But none of them, aside from Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving, has won champions before. So they really have to start to glue them together. How do, you how do you even win a championship if your team really falls behind 130 points average on every game, right? So I would say the season is still going on. We're only halfway through. And then the winner is still for anyone to take. And with that being said, I want to all let all of you know that we will resume back to our normal podcast format with some recommendations, some tips, and of course, some of the best restaurants I've visited so far. And if you have any questions, just shoot me over through Instagrams or directly through podcastlife plus up at gmail.com.
All right. With that being said, I wish all the best, and I will see you all next week on Life Plus Our Podcast. As we're wrapping up this episode, I want to thank and remind all the listeners that in the description you'll be able to find the overview of our contents, the links to positive news and resources, and most importantly, the show notes that I publish on Medium. Our music are being brought by Scott Holmes from scottholmesmusic.com. And if you have a question for my guests or for myself. Please email me at podcastlifeplusup at gmail dot com, or find me on Instagram, or simply by clicking on the voice link in the description. If you find this podcast informative and helpful, please follow and subscribe through your favorite podcast platform, and share with someone that you really think this can help. If you want to support, please leave us a five star review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, or simply by clicking on the donation button. Now we'll see you all next Wednesday. Until then, remember: success without fun never lasts, and fun without success is not really too much fun. So let's have a fun and a successful podcast together.